I'm just here to tell you that none of this stuff is a toaster. You don't get it out of the box and plug it in and then get toast. Voices. We hear them every day. Some voices, like mine, are smooth and comforting. While, on the other hand, the Chad and Cheese podcast is like listening to a Nickelback album. You'd rather stab yourself in the ears with an ice pick. Anyway, you're now listening to Voices, a podcast series from Chad and Cheese that features the most important and influential voices within the recruitment industry. Try not to fuck it up, boys. Welcome back to Voices with Amy Butchko, SAIC's Director of Talent Acquisition Solutions. This is episode four of a five-part bingeable Netflix type of series. You're going to love this episode. Let's dig right in. Can we talk about the great resignation? Do you have any opinions on that? Ooh. The trend of all these people are going to leave the workplace. <laughs> did you hear that sigh? That I oh. did. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's it's real. It's real. And I actually, I sat in a Gartner webcast uh, this past week, and they were talking about how not only are people resigning, but People are expecting up to a 10% leave. What do you guys guess it's like a leave premium. Like if you leave your job, you can get 10% more if you just change jobs. Uh So, you know, and the folks that I've talked to say that they think that's conservative, like 10%, right? (laughs) What do you mean? We're hearing some really crazy things out there in the market. A lot of the impact that we're seeing is because most companies have really not focused on internal mobility at all. Uh, They're really focused heavily on getting that new fresh talent in the door, but once they get them in the door, they kind of atrophy and they don't see new opportunities. Uh, They don't see lateral opportunities or even an opportunity to to get into new departments or what have you, new projects. Can you talk to that at all? Or is that something that you guys, you need to do better at as well? We do, we need to do better. We, you know, I don't think anybody's really got it nailed. I think that what you've got right now is a combination of market forces to the extent that you have what would be called pent up demand, right? People who probably would have left their job last year for a variety of reasons and didn't because COVID. And now you've got that, that pent up attrition, the the attrition that would have happened is happening. And then you've got this other phenomenon where you've got people who can increase their wages, they can get a different opportunity. Internal mobility is not ideal, probably in most organizations. There's lots of reasons for that. You know, whether it's, I don't want to lose Chad, because if he goes over to this other department, then I'm stuck. But, you know, nobody thinks about the fact that all you have to do is go on the internet and you can find a department outside of your employer and go do that. Like, okay, if you won't let me move around, I'll move around somewhere else. Yeah, but I could move around somewhere else outside of the company, which is what we see a lot of people do. So if you've got this internal mobility issue where it's we've made it easier for people to leave than to stay, I think that's the tweet, right? Yeah. And the other thing I think you've got going on here, Chad, and I've heard you talk about this in the past, is about how internal development of employees doesn't like we would we would rather go buy it than we would rather build it 
as a, as a society, not yeah. just where I, not just where I work. It's, you know, I want this ready-made done. I want the person to come in. I need them with all the right experience and I want them to fix my business. Whereas a different point of view is what would happen if we built these people ourselves? What if yeah. we invested in those folks and, and did it that way? And I, I have some pretty strong feelings about this. They're, they're not always. <laughs> Talk about uh, it. Come on. This is where well, you do it right here. You know, like, <laughs> wh- like, why do we think that you can make people out of thin air? You just can't. They don't come from thin air. There's, there's a limited talent pool in most of the high demand skills right now. So right. why, you know, why are we not investing more? Yes. Well, and again, I don't want to don't want to lean too hard on this because I always do, and I'm going to do it again. Army, Army ROTC. I knew you were going to say that. I yes, and I see it happening here locally with plumbers, uh, HVAC. You get an individual. They come in, the company pays for the certification and they're on contract for three years, right? So, and I understand, but but still that's not a, a, a you know, a, a top level developer. And that's what we're looking at, Chad. Yeah, but that's where they start, right? Right. We are an area of the company that thinks at a moment's notice. We don't plan for long-term and talent pipelines are not instant, they are something that you build and we are not builders. It, it mystifies me. I mean, you know, in, in the world where I work, you know, it's there's the technology shortage, you know, technology skill shortage um, in terms of being senior enough to have certain skills, you know, but that we haven't always cultivated people. Right. You know, and I, I, so there's that. The other thing that I was that I do want to say, though, about the the cleared community is we don't do a very good job of cultivating folks with clearances either. And we honestly, we do rely heavily on military recruitment to get those clearances out of the box. But when you start getting into the super high level clearances, you don't always find them. So finding ways to, you know, and it's that intersection, right? And that's, you know, my brain just shorted out a second ago, because it's like, it, there's there's this thing where you've got the, the skill bucket that's depleted, and then you've got the clearance bucket that's, you know, only going to take a certain type of person and is only going to take a few people through that process. And then when you have that intersection, you end up with a pretty scarce talent pool. So it, it is frustrating to, to, to work in a world where, you know, it's not just internal mobility that's the problem. It's, it's all types of development that, that need another look, in my opinion. But what you're talking about is clearances. In in being in the military, I had a clearance, had a clearance mm-hmm. for 18 years. Do you yeah. know why it's so easy to clear 18 year olds? Well, they didn't. They haven't done much. They don't have a fucking background, right? So <laughs> overall, if companies, I mean, it, if we're talking about building our own pipelines, we need to think at the root. Of the uh, of the situation, right? We we shouldn't think of this. Uh, well, I need a senior developer today. Well, that's your fault for not thinking about that. I don't know. Ten years ago, 
or five years ago. Start building today for tomorrow. Steal from others right now, but you've got to get something in place today. And I think that that Chad's commentary is really prescient in the fact that if if work from home is a thing that sticks, then the resignation is not going to be a one-time big event. It's going to be an ongoing thing that companies have to deal with because work from home as good as it is in many cases feels like a long distance relationship. You know, you're never quite as invested with in a relationship as when you see them every day or see them on a regular basis and they're at a distance. So do you agree that that Chad's comments are more important because this resignation issue is going to only get worse as work from home sticks? I don't know about the commitment aspect, Joel. I would I think you're probably right, but I think it could have to do also with the fact that now most jobs have a national pool of candidates, not a local pool of candidates. So once managers kind of get a taste of, wait a minute, I can find great talent in Indiana compared to, you know, my backyard and wherever the heck I am, you know, it, it opens up so many different ways of thinking about things that a lot of folks just haven't done before. So I don't really know if like, I don't know if it's all going to be like, if there's going to be one cause and one, you know, one reason, but I think the effect is definitely going to be there. So I think we agree, but maybe for different reasons. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So do companies work harder to keep people or do they not care because there's a bigger pool and they can just go play shuffleboard or with all this talent? Swapping spit has been a popular uh, statement on the show recently. Like, do they want to keep them more or replace them more? Well, I think when you look at statistically what you what you hear and, you know, what I think we know to be if we can accept as true that attrition is expensive because you lose your internal um, knowledge, right? You lo- you lose that knowledge that's been built inside your organization. So it goes bye-bye. And then you have to bring somebody else new in, which has a cost associated. Just the bringing has the, the cost associated. <laughs> and then you got the cost of, of training that person, you know, as well. And, you know, one of the things that uh, one of my former bosses talked to me about, and, and it stuck with me, especially around hiring recruiters. Because recruiters, a lot of times, you know, we can be kind of rolling stones, right? We don't, we don't sit very long in one place. And so it's not unusual to see somebody, you know, after a couple of years, just, you know, pick up and move on. And, you know, and my, my LinkedIn profile is certainly evidence of that. I mean, I've been here for almost eight years, but that's like a, you know, a record. But when you look at that tenure piece, 
you know, what, what he always said is, you know, you get these recruiters who have one year of experience 10 times and they think they've got 10 years of experience. And wow, when you really think about it and you start, you know, seeing how people kind of operate inside organizations, that ability to persist and do the problem solving within organizations and within jobs, whether you move up or not, right? You know, there's, you know, I don't, maybe you're, you want to be a recruiter forever. Maybe you want to be a sourcer forever. Maybe you want to be a manager for, who cares? But that ability to kind of persist, do the problem solving, work those relationships through because, you know, work is not always just, you know, peace and light. Um, but that, I think that that's something that is another factor with, with that attrition problem because you lose people with that problem solving. Yeah. Retention is a problem without work from home. Now it's an, an, an even bigger problem. And so I'm guessing what you're saying is services and, and solutions that help you keep employees are going to be at the forefront in the, in the foreseeable future. But, but we got robots to take care of this shit though, right? Well, where, where are the robots right now, Chad? Good question. You, you, t- yeah, you, you tell <laughs> us. You, where, where are the robots? You've built your stack from ground zero, right? So right. in building that more efficient stack, how have robots helped and are they living up to all the hype? Uh, the robots help a lot. So we have built a stack that has, you know, a CRM layer. When you layer. say robots, just for the listeners, what do you mean exactly? What do I mean? That's a great question. So what I think about when I'm referring to a robot is a tool, a, a technology tool that automates something that a human could do. You know, and in the case of the automation that's working is things like a job distribution engine that pushes jobs out efficiently and gets and then collects applications for workers. That's automation, right? I mean, it's it's very basic automation and it's automation that we've had forever, but it's also automation that's not always working that well for every company. So when we fixed ours, we were able to plus up our uh, applicant flow by four times just by changing out the system and getting more efficient job di- distribution and a, you know a, an, a robot an engine that does that and then building a better mechanism to accept those applications so that's a robot that's working really well other robots that that we've worked with are things like automating our referral program or doing, you know, building a chat bot, which has not yet happened yet, but will be happening soon. And those things require enormous amounts of human labor behind the scenes. Now, are you building your own? Are you going to a vendor and they're obviously collaborating and building it with you? The latter. Okay. The latter. But I'm just here to tell you that none of this stuff is a toaster. You don't get it out of the box and plug it in and then get toast. Most companies don't understand that though. Oh my gosh. It's, I didn't understand that. (laughs) And, and when I had my first, it was a couple of years ago when uh, somebody said, you know, well, we should have a, get a chat bot. And I was like, well, let me, let's, let's talk about that. And it was a vendor. Yeah. And I asked to see it and I was like, well, so who, so how does the robot know what to say when somebody says, tell me about your benefits? Right. It's a pretty simple question. Yeah. And they were like, oh, well, you'll train it. 
I'm like, excuse me? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You'll, I will, wait a minute. What, me? So, so the robot that you build is only as smart as you are. Yeah, and the data and the information that you can feed into it so that it can learn. It's it, like you said, it's not a toaster. When it comes out of the box, it doesn't just automatically do what you want. It's more like a kindergartner, right? And you have to train it to do, you know, it has to go through school. Here's your new puppy. Yeah. I, yeah. Joel, I think <laughs> kindergartner is way too sophisticated for Good what call. my experience is with this. Yeah. I would yeah. go with puppy. So <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, I'm you know, that one. it's sit. No, sit. Don't pee on the rug. Right. All of those things. Yeah. That is completely, that is completely a great reference, a great analogy. And that's certainly been my experience with, with robots. So, so that's the, that's kind of where I would say the push toward automation may be creating more labor in the process of removing labor. So, so I'm kind of in the camp, you know, and I know that there's sort of a continuum of people who say that, you know, robots take jobs. I'm not, I'm not sold on that. And, and, we may have to agree to disagree, but how do you guys feel about that? Are robots taking the jobs or are robots making the jobs? HR tech. It's not a toaster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Look at us. We're going to do a trademark. I think your comment about here's what's working and here's what isn't. And none of this is magic bullet stuff. I mean, I think the, the job, job distribution stuff, I think the automated sourcing and thing, matching stuff yep. is more toasterish. Yeah. I think like <laughs> chatbots. Chatbots aren't a one fits all thing. And I think, you know, we've talked about this on the show that look, if chatbots were a silver bullet, we wouldn't be talking about so-and-so being acquired for an undisclosed amount of money. We would be talking about a new round of funding, you know, to the hundred, hundred to $150 million investment. So it's clear that there's a challenge with that, with that sector of the economy or the sector of the business. So I think your, your point of like, look, some of it works really well, like flip the switch and things are awesome. And others are like, holy shit, it's, I, I have a new puppy. Now what do I do? Well, I th- a lot of it has to do with operator error though. So much like Amy had said, most companies believe, and I think a lot of this has to do with uh, salespeople as well. They make you feel like that it's this magic button, but there's, there's a lot of work to implementing technology to ensure it works the way that you want it to. And, you know, I think you really have to look, look in the mirror and make sure that you know how you want the experience to work for your recruiters and your candidates and your hiring managers and so on and so forth. So if you haven't stripped all of that down to the bare bones and rebuilt it into much more efficient experience, uh, you're just going to slam something into your old process methodology that is just going to suck and it's going to continue to suck. It, you know, yes, all of that is true. And I will give it an exclamation point to the point of saying that some of my experience around technology vendors is that it's built by really smart people who never worked as recruiters. Aw, thanks. You're welcome. That's that's all you get. You get one. <laughs> Enjoy it, Amy. So, the but really smart people, sure. But you know, the folks that can really come in, that you need a SME, you need somebody who has done the whole recruiting process, who knows the compliance aspects, who knows 
you know, the kinds of things that people actually ask in the process of finding a new job, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that are typically missing. And what we've also found is that when you get into, okay, so maybe you can automate a process. So you can create an engine that, that collects applicants, let's say, but then once you start needing to report on it, things are also a little bit muddy. So the reporting piece of it and the data piece of it, like there is so much data to be had and so much complication with just translating that information into anything that's not a CSV file. Because when you talk to the vendors, a lot of times, oh, the reporting is built in. Well, what the reporting actually means is that you're going to get a CSV file and good luck, sister. So, and and that's what you get. Hiring companies also need to know that they are going to get shit for data unless they really do their due diligence to understand how they're going to receive that data. Is it parsed? Is it contextualized? How, how do I receive this data and how can I make sense out of it past just being able to, to, to take it into your system? Because I, I agree, many companies, and you hear this on the pitches, you're going to get so much information, so much rich, enriched information mm-hmm. from the conversations that you have with job seekers or that you have with recruiters or whatever it is. It's like, okay, we've got all this quote unquote enriched data. How do you contextualize it? How do you actually put it in format, structured format so that it, it's useful to me? Right. And and it it does not, They there is still not a mechanism that can say, you know, this person fits this job or this job fits this person. Right. So, you know, the, the people aspect of that, and that's where I think, Chad, when you and I have spoken before, you know, talking about, you know, potentially, you know, automating recruiting, I just think that, that people still need people in recruiting. And I think there's going to be parts that we're going to be able to automate. But, you know, one of the things that we've started to do is use RPA, which is robotic process automation in yep. other ways to, to try to make certain processes more efficient. And what we've found is that, yeah, it works, but the projects that you get into that actually can, can get off the ground fairly quickly are the ones where the data is really clean, which is almost never. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it does exist, right? So it's a subset. Now you've got a smaller subset. You've got the data that's really clean and that is completely predictable. It always shows up exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's where, you know, so you can maybe automate a process that takes, you know, a report that, you know, that says, you know, this person was hired and then sends them a letter, right? Hire letter, hire letter. And that type of automation can work or hire email, hire email, whatever, or text right. message. What yeah. you could automate that. And, you know, but it's super simple. And, you know, when you start looking at um, resumes, for example, there's no standard language. So what do we have? We have a non-standard process. So what do we have? You just broke the system. You can't, I mean, it just, it's, it, it's, well, boop. so, so you're not going to get the same type of output that you're going to get from a human because the human can have, has contacts and right. the human can do that contextualization. And I don't know, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago or three years ago, you know, I would probably have been more bullish on the robots, but I've met all the robots now. 
<laughs> Keep on binging. The final episode with Amy is ready and available. And if you're not already subscribed, look for the Chad and Cheese wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe or follow button. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.